This episode of the Luke Branquino Show is brought to you by Resistol. Well, welcome to the Luke Branquino Show. My next guest has been involved or around or loved hearing, listening, watching to rodeo. When they hear his voice, they're going to automatically know who he is. I'm not even going to have to say it. He's like, oh, yeah, we know that guy. He's famous. Uh, Bob Tallman, thank you for joining me. Oh, Luke, thank you for having me. I'm quite flattered. Hearing your voice, I could remember, and, I, and it brings back memories. When I was a kid, going to the national finals and and... I mean, hell, even <clears throat> watching old VHSs before I got to go to the finals and, and hearing your voice, uh, I, it just brings back memories of sitting in the stands and, and going, you know, watching my heroes, John W. Jones and, and all those guys and hearing you announce them, hearing you talk about them. And then the best part about it is me getting to hear that voice coming from a friend uh, because I feel like through the last 20 some years of me rodeoing, you've become one of my uh, closest friends, and I could reach out to you for anything. So I appreciate that. Yes, sir. but just to hear your voice and knowing what it has brought to the rodeo world, it's it's been amazing. Well, you have to understand what it brought to my life. the uh, The history in my family and the livestock industry goes back to actually 1895, but 1903 in Denial, Nevada, and you know that part of the country. Um, north and west of Winnemucca, where I was raised, you've been through it a thousand times. And um, everything that I've had an opportunity to do, and my nearest, I would say, would have been 1966 when I started at Cal Poly. And that would have taken me down into your home country and where the family ranches were raised and all of your siblings and where you came from till you come now to Texas. To this great hall, Kent and the staff, this is where the legends of the past voices echoes, saying you're amongst the greatest of the great. I couldn't imagine being in a better group than this. Congratulations to the Pro Roadie Hall of Fame class of 2023. Thank you. A tip of our Resist All hat to Luke Branquino on your well-deserved induction into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Well done, cowboy. Yeah, and when, like you said, just the road that brought you today, where you're at now, the miles you've been, the people you've met, and the again, the places... Uh, you know, I remember hearing old timers telling stories about Bob Tallman being a Cal Poly Mustang and, you know, rodeoing. And, and it was funny. I, I'd never I don't get on Wikipedia much, but reading the stories on there and, and you know, people yeah, don't believe be- every don't believe everything you <laughs> see and hear. You know, over the years, as technology's changed, when I started, I had a twenty six dollar Windsor microphone, three big university horns and a little mi- mixing box right uh, when i started announcing rodeos and i came out of an area um that was before you know eight track cartridges i came out of a music area that was totally different that's been somewhat forgotten um over the weekend i got to go to a mark chestnut concert two thousand people in a town of 60 people in gale texas <clears throat> but it made me think back the music the people, the era, the time, food changes, cars oh, and yeah. trucks change, gravel roads instead of <laughs> paved highways. And when you were a kid coming to the NFR or maybe would have been in Reno at the BFI, um, 
you know, as a bulldogger in those days watching the Bob Feist, you think about all the people we knew then, and um, John W. Jones Sr. Right. And uh, back in the Bob Cook days in the 1970s at Madonna, at the Madonna Inn. And the other day when I was at the rodeo at, uh, at uh, Santa Maria, I went up to see my jerky manufacturer, Catania Brothers. Oh, yeah. San Luis Obispo, Caitlin Caney, third generation, 75-year-old old company. And I can remember carrying my daughter, brand new, Nicole, who you know, your age, um, into the Madonna Inn and produced the first rodeo that they ever had there. And I drove up to the old barns where the old arena was. And it's not about memorabilia, it's about memories. Memorabilia is physical things. You and I have them in our offices, stack rooms, trophy rooms. But the memories that, where'd I come from? What made me? Who was there? And uh, to think about John Sr. in those days of sitting there with Harley May, Bob Cook, Jack Roddy. um, (laughs) John W. was just a pup. Right. And then, um, then all you kids showed up. Well... I'm having somewhat of a rebirth in life at my age right now of thinking about where I came from, where I'm going, what I've done, what I'd like to do again, what I damn sure don't want to do again. (laughs) And uh, I was talking to Phil Line uh, last week on the phone and reminiscing about uh, 1971 when he signed for my uh, announcer's card in Billy Nelson's kitchen on Geneva Street north of the Cow Pops. (laughs) And, and, you know, Luke, I don't know. I mean, we're all busy and you're raising kids and I've got 15-year-old grandkids. You need to go back once a day if you only do it in your mind and remember what made you, where'd you come from? Right. What did you do that you dang sure don't want to do again? What did you do that you'd like to repeat and who you haven't talked to lately and give them a call. Generation after generation, Resistall is the cowboy had a choice for ranchers and rodeo cowboys. Since 1927, Resistall has been making the finest cowboy hats available right here in America. Made from the finest select furs to a beautifully finished hat, each one goes through 200 hands to get to the custom finish and quality we expect. Made for cowboys, we live it every day. You know, talking about Tom Miller and, and his resurgence of cancer, and, and you do a lot of charity work and, and help a lot of people out. Um, t- tell us more about that. The blessings in life come by sometimes um, horrendous hurts that other people suffer. And uh, in the field of cancer today, uh, MD Anderson Cancer Research Center Hospital, and I've had a golf tournament now. It'll be 24 years old come the first Monday of October. We've been fortunate to raise over $3 million for MD Anderson Pediatrics. Wow. And that's where our funding goes to support a school that teaches in 11 languages. Well, within those 24 years now, we have sent about 230, 40 people actually uh, to MD Anderson and we've saved all but seven. We've changed their life. We've extended their lives. Not we, but we are a part of a system. And um, I think you know who Paige Mudd is. She's become quite popular on the, on the phone. Paige is my connection to the hospital. And uh, Ryan 
uh, Miller called the other day and he said, my dad's down again. I said, well, let's get him up. Uh, Larry Mahan was uh, one of our many. We have some people that uh, 20 years ago we put in there, extended their lives uh, 20 years. You know, you're talking about Larry and his his toughness and desire to to not give up on life. And that's, you know, that's, we talk about that as the cowboy way and the farming, the ranching way, because that's, that's just the way we were built and the way we were made. And, you know, Larry, he went, fought to the bitter end. Larry Mahan, when he was six years old, won six bucks in a buckle. <laughs> and that's his claim to fame, you know, in Silverton, Oregon, riding calves. And like, do you remember the first year you ever threw down out of the chute? Do you remember the first year you ran? Long before you had any idea you'd be a five-time, uh, you know, world champion. You remember the effort of the people around you that cheered yeah. you on. Oh, yeah. People got an addiction to Mayhem's lifestyle and to his positive attitude. And the first time I met him, he jerked me into a line of people that he was signing autographs to at Lake Comanche, California. <laughs> and uh, he said, I want you to meet my friend Bob Tallman. This is the greatest young rodeo announcer in the world. He'd sign his card, then he'd hand it to me, and I'd sign it and hand it to him. And away they go. Mahan knew what it took to get in somebody's heart. And he did it with honesty. Less is more. And his ability to ride bulls, bronx, team rope. Um, I saw him work five events at the Cow Palace one time in the late 60s. Yeah. It wasn't just his natural raw talent. It was the size of his heart. It was bigger than a basketball. Yeah. Mahan knew that his synergy and his energy combined together drew other people to want to be like him. He knew what it took to stay dedicated mentally, to stay focused physically. And that this was when you had to, you know, rotary phones, yeah. dial up, call up on a phone. My wife, Kristen, was a rodeo secretary in those days. This is what it took when the media showed up. They were attracted to him. Yeah. And so he glorified his physical position, his earnings, his winnings, his buckles, his saddles. And then he brought everybody else with him. When he decided to retire out of the rodeo business and try the music business, he was already involved in the garment business, the boot business, the hat business. <clears throat> and he was also very well guarded and guided by good attorneys, by media people in New York, Sydney, Australia, uh, in Brussels, any place that Mahan ever went, the media was waiting for him upon his arrival, and then his entourage would build. Right. So later in life, when he got off, his love for horses was the last thought, I'm sure, that he had on his mind. And whether it was a bucking horse, a cutting horse, a rope horse, a saddle horse. Um, could have been a Shetland pony that he went and bought cash out of his pocket and give it to a kid at a rodeo someplace. Right. That was his love. Horses, number one in his life. People, uh, I'd say number two. And don't, you know, hold me responsible to the chronological order I'm putting this stuff in. And those just kept replicating more people into his life and built I mean, it, it built a life for all of us. 
Yeah. And at different times, you could float into his life and float out of his life. He never let me get very far away. And a lot of the successes I've had in the last 50 years have been because he took the time to go, Bob, come here. Well, Bob, think about this. You know, let's go. Go to work. Friends, let me tell you about Husky's Trailer and Parts Company. They've been in business for over 60 years, supplying their customers with thousands of trailer parts from the top brands you trust. For fans of the Luke Branquino Show, visit huskytrailerstx.com slash Luke and get your 10% off and free shipping on your order. Husky, generations of trust delivered. Yeah, and you got to see it firsthand. And I've heard, because I've no, no, got to know Larry you know, for the last several years, but they said he really single-handedly changed the cowboy persona on what people thought of him as, you know, and and what he wrote by himself, you know, as far as getting out to the public, getting in the public eye, you know, the media coverage, he would make sure he was there. He was set up. He would, he would talk about the cowboy lifestyle and give these people that didn't know much about it, an idea of what he was living and it, all that did was help elevate and make our sport seem that much better. He knew early on by the Western wear changes that he was creating. And I've still got boots and shirts that were a part of his early days of life that I've kept for memorabilia. And now of course, for the love of the man, but he knew how to manipulate a thought, a shot and a saying and bring other people into it and then right. let them synergize it and go on with it. And then he championed them. He was always real quick to compliment somebody else before they had an opportunity to compliment him. He was a giver, never a taker. And he left the world in a positive manner. They, uh, Louis Russo told me the other day who, you know, quite well, um, that they blew into the market at Dallas and and sold more boots in one day than any other boot manufacturer with Larry Mahan boots. I'm talking about like 190,000 pair. Holy crap. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the fur hats, I've still yep. got them. Yep. People still wear them today. The uh, Woolies? Yeah, the Woolies. Yeah. And they've been remanufactured and rethought of and redone again. The little short boots, red, white, and blue with the flag on them. I've still got a pair of them. He gave us the saddle, and I want to get back to a touch on something for you for MD Anderson, because you and Jennifer will appreciate this. He gave us the 1975 all-around champion saddle he won in the Astrodome. Everybody that built the Astrodome was in the picture that we have. And when we sent him to MD Anderson, he wanted to be private, and of course, all of our knowledge what we know about each and every one of our patients is, uh, you know, patient privacy, but he wanted to be low key. And I said, okay. He said, I want to be low key in the rodeo world. And I want to, you know, um, and he swore me to secrecy. Well, I'm going to stay that way for the rest of my life. Why? It wasn't about Larry. It was about fighting cancer. Right. And his idea was anything new you test on me that might work for somebody else. We win. Kachin, that is a flag that's, you know, flies for the positive side of cancer research. So they named him the all around champion cowboy patient. 
And we are building a shrine with that saddle that he won in 1975 in the Astrodome that will be in the foyer of MD Anderson Cancer Research Center. Wow. Again, just the impact and, and how he how he went about his life, not a, for himself, but to help yeah. everybody else. And, yeah. and the thing the thing about you with your career, and we're talking about Larry right now, but you have got to see so many people that were just like Larry on that level of champions that were not so much worried about what people thought of them, but they wanted to do better for everybody else around them. And, and that's what, you know, 50 plus years or more in the business of, of announcing roadies and seeing these young guys come up. I say young, you know, talking about Ty Murray, who obviously was right there with Larry, but you got to see all these young up and comers that maybe didn't have a name, but once they got their name, they were there to help the industry and help people around them. And I mean, for you to be able to get to witness that is pretty impressive. When you think about Ty Murray, Ty Murray went to live with Larry Mahan when he was 13 years old. And Mahan took to him because Ty would listen, he would look, he didn't have a lot to say, but he would try everything Mahan wanted to teach him. Later in life, we're three generations deep, Rocker Steiner is riding with a pair, ready for this, of Larry Mahan. Larry Mahan won the world, all-around championship of the world. Ty Murray rode with those same spurs. Rocker Steiner's riding with that same set of spurs today. Oh, and, wow. of course, Bobby Steiner, Rocker's grandpa, and Larry Mahan were as tight as you could be because they came out of the same area or same right. era. Go back and think about when your folks gave you the opportunity to go, you and your brothers, and everybody around you, John W. Jones Sr. was the king. And this guy could ride by a steer and reach out barehanded and throw an elephant down. Then comes John W. Then comes Luke Branquino. Now comes the next generation of all these kids that Boyd and I were bragging on the other day at the NFR Open in Colorado Springs. Why is that guy as good as he is? It's because Luke Branquino opened the door, shook his hand, and said, come on, go with me. I'll teach you. Now he will go, and you'll have a chance to brag on them as they go. As your kids get older, the generational change thing. Now think about uh, basketball, football, hockey, race car drivers, everything. In, in the world of sports, in the immense world that's in it, by the time Troy Aikman would have ever had kids, they'd had to be 18, 19, 20 years old. Donnie Gay taught me this a long time ago. He said, you can teach a kid to throw a Frisbee at three or four or five years old, but you can't teach him to ride a bull. So the, the length and elasticity of rodeo kids comes generationally, whereas in you've got high school, well, you, let's just go to baseball. Okay, you've got little baseball, t-ball, then you've got slow pitch, and then you've got junior, and then you've got junior high, and then you've got high school, and then you've got college. It takes 25 years to get a kid from his birth to the point to where he could become like his daddy right, or his uncle. In rodeo, we can have our kids at four or five years old doing what we want them or what they think they want to do that we did. We're blessed. We're blessed. Take it and the rights are a perfect example of that. Getting to sit at the Hall of Fame with Cody and talk to him and his wife, but hearing the stories, you know, 
of of him bringing up his kids, then getting to compete at the national finals with not only his brothers but his his actual kids is and that's a in sports you don't ever hear about that. And like you said, because how the the time distance between father son get to play, but in rodeo when when you know Cody got to ride with Rusty and Ryder, that is absolutely amazing. You think about it, I heard Garrett Jurgen say yesterday when Stetson Wright won the all-around and the bull riding at Cheyenne. He said, there was Stu Wright a minute ago in the bronc riding, and he's Stetson Wright's oldest uncle. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And people go, what about them Wright boys in those Blue Express shirts that come out of Utah? I said, it's a system. I remember when Cody Wright, the father, the patriarch, and Cherie, the matriarch, of all of those kids out of 13 in that first family, I can remember when he won his first college championship in the Bronx ride. Then he came back and won two world titles and they got serious. People said, where's this Stu Wright been? He's 26 years old. Well, in his high school and college days, he broke his back and that took him out for three or four or five years. So you build your core back so you can do it. Well, in the midst of all of that, good Mormon families, he went on a two-year mission, actually right. two and a half years. Stetson gets on stage, receives two saddles, all the other boot barn awards and everything to go with it. And when they asked him, what is making you generate the popularity, the talent, and the winning you've got right now? His first comment was, I'm very careful about what I put in my body. A lot of people probably didn't hear that. This kid's as pure, him and Kai Hamilton travel together, um, the Aussie, yeah. and they are as pure, as healthy as you can be. And I don't know if there's high school football or baseball or rodeo coaches today that are pushing the effort on these kids to eat right, think right, exercise right, rest right, yeah. focus right. And I know you do at your schools and you have been just like John Jr. taught you. You have got to be right 23 and a half hours a day, and you better be asleep that other 30 minutes. And Bob, you know as well as anybody that from when you started to now, and you got to see the whole transition. But when I started in 20, uh, 20, uh, 20, 2000, it was 2000, my rookie year, how guys would, hell, I can remember pulling up the very first Denver stock show I went to. We were there before the perf started. We put our horses up, and I look at the guys and say, hey, we're going to go watch the steers. No, we'll see him tomorrow. We went straight to the damn bar, you know, and that was my rookie year. I learned a lot of what to not to do my rookie year. I learned a lot, and most of it was what not to do. But these guys would go to the bar and carry on. I was thinking, well, maybe we should take care of business a little better. I got to see not only that change, but diet, exercise, uh, again, what these guys put in their bodies. Dakota Eldridge probably is one of the cleanest – eat freaks that I know. Yeah. I mean, he is, yeah. everything is you know, supplements, this, that Jacob Talley, you know, these guys, they, they, they work to get better, not only in the arena, but outside and, and with their body. And I couldn't even imagine, I've heard stories, you know, of, of, uh, well, I had Joe Beaver on the other day, so we got to hear a lot of good stories there, but what you got to see with guys coming up, I mean, I remember probably marble reds and buckskin cans that, they were smoking and, and drinking before they even got on a bull or run a steer. Luke, I'm going to take you back to Cal Poly again because it did something to my life in the rodeo business. 
1966, who are my heroes? Ned Lundo, Dennis Reiners, okay? The greatest bronc riders in the world in those days, Billy Nelson, world champion in the bull riding, uh, the calf ropers, team ropers, um, all the bulldoggers, because I had the calf and steer contract at Cal Poly, and so I was there every day after class, at which I went to the rodeo arena more than I went to class. <laughs> um, but it changed my life, and it put me in a system to be around the greatest young guys at that time. And I can remember a guy named Butch Bray. He was as tough as they could come, could ride Bronx. And I wanted to be a Bronx rider, and he used to run that rein up through the swells of the saddle. And I'd get a hold of it with two hands. He said, when you can ride one of these for eight or 10 seconds, two times in a row, we'll take the rein out of the saddle, and then you can hold the rein and try it. Guess what? I never did take the rein out of the saddle, but I was taught. I watched Dennis Reiners turn his toes out like this to ride in a bronc. How'd he do it? He was sleeping in bunk beds at Etna, California, out by the airport where I had a ranch leased, and they had pulleys. And they would run their feet in their boots and they would turn their toes on, lay down flat, and go to bed. And they'd wake up in the morning. They all walk like ducks. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> now you watch the right boys set their feet and spur. Okay? Now, you mentioned Bulldog in a minute ago. And you think about Dakota Eldridge, 190 pounds? Oh, no. He's, he's a little fatter now. He's been working out. Well, he looked pretty good shine when he went around on Saturday. <laughs> um, when you think about who'd you mention second, big boy? Oh, Jacob Talley. Oh, Jacob's Talley. Now there's 235 pounds of fresh love, buddy. Yeah, oh yeah. And he gets a hold of one 2020 in Arlington right over here in Texas. <laughs> when he come to him, he went to it and he stayed to it. He went to yeah. it and he stayed to it. And now trying to keep up with some of these younger guys that are making those runs, and you take a guy like John W. Jones Jr. I mean, at 190 and 200 pounds and less, it was all about where you got in the pocket, when you handled cattle, how you threw them. And then what did John say? Not a word. Not a Probably word. the most quiet human being I've ever known in my life, where his dad was a big rebel rousing. I mean, he was tough. Well, and, and you mentioned Johnny being small. And back then, it's not like the type of cattle they're running now. I mean, these cattle they're running now were probably 200 pounds lighter than what Johnny and those guys ran oh, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years ago. You've been around long enough to uh, see my grandkids and my grandson, Canyon, Pinnell, Nicole's yep. twins, and his sister plays volleyball. Well, Daniel, my son-in-law, is a great teacher, horseman. And Canyon's at 15 years old, going to be 16, has won six digits worth of money. Okay. I showed him a picture here last fall or last winter of me heading a steer at the cow palace for Bob Cook. No horn wraps, horns that wide, weigh 900 pounds. And if you, if you bounce one, you could still place bouncing one off the bucking chutes in the cow palace arena going the other way. And he said, what's that steer weigh? I said, 900, might've weighed a thousand. Some of them did. And I said, they could flat fly. And I've got pictures of open steers at Salinas going like this down through there. And he said, what's that like? And I said, you'd never whip and spur. You let your horse catch up. So he was in full control when you got to those cattle. And the same thing at Cheyenne with that slow gate. 
and they let him out of there. So proud of little Billy Bob Brown yesterday, oh, yeah. opened his deer and ate to win that money. Those kind of things have not changed. They've just got tougher because there are hundreds of young, young wolves that can rope, bulldog, ride broncs, and ride bulls today. And they're hungry because the money is getting Woo! a hell of a lot better. And, and, you know, we think rodeos like Houston, who started off with the 50, you know, obviously Calgary has been doing it for a while, but these rodeos that are making it better, not only for, obviously they're reaping some benefits from it, but the Cowboys, the contestants are, are reaping a lot of the benefits from it too. When you were first starting in 2000, you had to been able to rodeo in the Astrodome. I did. Seventh I wonder of the world. It's yep. where I started uh, 48 years ago, 47 years ago in Fort Worth. And you think about the money in those days. When I joined the RCA, okay, the RCA, we had 300 rodeos. It paid about $2.6 million. Think about these days now. And today we're talking about 80 and $90 million. But here's, here's the bigger thing. The endorsements that we've all yeah. been so blessed to have over the years, the added cash, the end results, the added money that has come with this. And with that came business knowledge. Larry yeah. Mayhem, let's go back here again. Yeah. Larry Mayhem and Jody Tatone taught me more about endorsements back in the 70s than any other two or three guys. Louis Russo, Louis Russo signed my very first Wrangler contract 42 years ago. Wow. It might well, have been three or four hundred bucks. I don't remember. Right. Well, but that's how the business has changed. And today we all look like race car drivers. Well, what was amazing to me is even the first couple of years I made the finals, you've seen a few guys with some endorsement deals, but nothing, nothing major. But now everybody has something on it. And one thing I always and I don't I guess I don't criticize them. I just try to educate them. You know, that you see somebody with a patch on, I'm like, well, what are they giving you? I get a free pair of shirt or a free pair of pants and shirt. I'm like, you're selling yourself short, man. Don't, you can go buy shirts. You're, if you're rodeo and you can afford to go buy a shirt, buy pants, make them pay you what you're worth. And, and I think you've got to see that too. People think, well, if I get something for free, I'm just going to take it. But no, make them pay you for what you are worth. Well, I'm not trying to blow smoke in your butt, but they didn't put those patches on you because you were a good bulldogger. They put it on you because you were a great image and a good guy. And some of them go away. Some of them last a year, some last 10 years. I have three endorsements that I've been with for 30 years and Wrangler with four, going on 45 years. Well, that's like me when I gave the induction speech, which, you know, I, obviously you got to do them, but a minute or three or to five minutes is not near enough to thank everybody that oh, no. you in your career. No. But uh, I, I did mention since Church and Jeans, I'd been with them for, well, since my first year, 2000, and Platinum Performance, you know, and that just, it, it feels good to know that you've been a good enough ambassador where they want to stay with you even after retirement and, you know, still doing clinics and a lot of social media stuff. And, you know, now with this show, it, it's still a good feeling that they want to stay hooked with you because you've been that image for them for so long. When you think about it, I've been with the Resist all 40 years, but everybody at American Hat Company are my best friends. Oh, yeah. I was with the Justin Boot Company, the Ariat Boot Company. I've been with those kind of people for decades because they trusted me to wear that brand. 
Right. And so that first night at Denver, when you went to the bar and said, we should have went and watched the cattle. The next night you were watching the cattle. Right. And knowing and taking care of your business. Today with social media, it can either be your best friend or your worst enemy. <laughs> For sure. But I also know that at my age, in order to stay somewhat fit, I'm on Bobby Steiner's uh, smoothie twice a day now. Yeah. Already lost 15 pounds. I got 40 to go. People say, how can you do that? I said, real easy. It's what you put in as how your body's going to perform down the road. And everybody says that this rodeo thing's become a big party. Well, it has for everybody around us. I said, around us. For those of us on the inside circle, you'll have time to party later in life if that's going to be your choice. When you're in this business, take care of business. Yeah, that's and that's exactly right. And and that's what I feel like these cowboys and cowgirls have been doing, especially since, you know, I kind of got out of, and retired. These guys are they're gym freaks, you know, the gym rats, they're health nuts. And and that's what you have to do to be to be successful. And like you said, what Sedson said, I watch what I put into my body. But you put all that junk in your body, you don't feel a hundred percent when you show up. And I promise you nowadays, which you see it, there's 10 guys there that are feeling a hundred percent and they only pay eight spots. So you yeah. better damn sure make sure you're you're one of those 10 and, and fighting for, for that spot. Well, you know, the COVID deal, and that was in your transition years of coming here to Texas from California. The COVID years taught us some big time lessons. I had it for a couple of days, um, I guess. Uh, I am, by the way, to those that will watch this, I am unvaccinated, will remain unvaccinated. You might see some things in the background of my camera shots. You know how I believe. I'm big on Jesus. And uh, um, I say God is good and Jesus is gooder. And I'm, I, ain't, I'm, I ain't afraid to pray and use right. his name on the Cowboy Channel or in live public. Here's the thing. When that transition was planned, programmed, and changed our lives, that's when I knew that my life was not going to be over. It was the opportunity of the challenge to go get a real estate license. It's been very good to Phil Sanders and I in North Texas, and now we work all over the United States. Intake has to do with discharge. So if you fill your mind with the wrong thoughts, if you fill your mind with the wrong ideas. And I've got this big thing I've been running on now about unplug. And I started this at Reno at the rodeo the other day in prayer. Give him 15 seconds in the morning, give him 15 seconds at night. We live, it's, my phone is hanging on a laptop, uh, sitting on a box of fertilizer in the tack room with my desk in here full of real estate stuff. That's what we're gonna do this week because I don't go to a rodeo this week. Everything that you get involved in, when you take these young guys and teach them about cattle, you don't teach them how to shoot dog the first time they see a steer. You teach them how to watch cattle, how right. big this one is, how big those horns are. Watch somebody else try to throw him. Watch how these cattle take a lead and where are you going to be? Then you teach them how to go, um, how to become a horseman. Because even though you ride 75 to 150 feet, you've got to know where you're going to put your body in position. So if your mind and your body is right and your horse sets you in the right spot and you get down in the pocket, you know where to go. 
if they've shoot dogged enough cattle, they know the power that animal has. And we're talking about six, 700 pound steers today compared to maybe 400 a few years ago to maybe 900 years back. I'm so damned excited to talk to you today. I'm going to be, wow. Because I don't have these conversations every day with anybody else, you know, just every day. Well, no, and a lot of times, and, and I was again reading up on that, you know, you, you get to talk into a microphone to thousands of people. And if you're, people are watching the Cowboy Channel, hundreds of thousands of people get to hear you. But having this personal interaction, to me, it's always, it's more exciting for me to have this personal one-on-one and I do enjoy doing all the other stuff, or obviously we wouldn't do it. But I'm with you. Getting to talk face-to-face like this is is exciting instead of looking at a camera, just looking out into a crowd. And I can remember sitting at, uh, I think it's Ormatia's in Winnemucca, uh, the Basque restaurant there. And Did I was you just, put your beans on your salad? Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's, that's how you're supposed yeah. to do it, right? But oh, yeah. uh, I was sitting there eating. Lindsay and I, we were coming home from... It was the last year I rodeo, so in 2021, we were coming home from Nampa. I had to take the trailer back, and uh, I look up, and sure as shit, there's, I think it was your brand on the wall there with your name on it, and I took a picture, and I sent it to you, but I got to thinking the years of hearing your voice and kind of my transition from rodeo to TV and, and doing stuff like that, how much I've learned just from listening to you talk, and um always trying to talk to somebody, even if it's not face-to-face on a personal level has made, you know, you have to, you have to communicate to people that way, whether it's through a screen, whether it's through a phone, uh, whether it's through a microphone, it doesn't matter. You have to talk to people like it's on a personal level to one, help them engage with you and help them understand our sport. If you will let people get in your head with the first comment they make, they will tell you the direction that they want the conversation to go. It is not appealing to you. Then you, you will work your way out of that direction and take them where you want them to go. If they fight you and they try to pin you down to be negative, not positive. If they want you to argue, not respond, get out of that conversation. Right. That's garbage. Garbage in, buddy. Yeah, well, that's it, and and you have to know how to tra- transfer that garbage out and keep all the positive is. And I think you, as a announcer and the personality, has got to see that transition. You've seen a great athlete that could keep the trash out. They didn't have near the success as an athlete that was maybe not as good, but they kept the positive thoughts of them, and it just it helped them rise to the top. When you train these young guys that want to be you can't, there's only one Luke Branquino. There was only one John W. Jones. There was only one Harley May before y'all back in those days. There was only one Freckles Brown, okay? And the day he rode Tornado, everybody was happy that he did that because of his age, where he rode him and how it ended up, okay? In the rodeo business today, I try to convert myself into the other patterns of life and the fabric that I live. And it's not easy. I have learned that my, I've got a lot less track in front of me than track behind me where I've come from in 50 years. And in the next four, five, six, seven, 
seven years, you're going to see me start to fade out. You're going to see an Anthony Lucian. You're going to see a Garrison Allen. You're going to see a Scott Grover. Boyd and I had this conversation the other day when we were at Colorado Springs at the NFR Open. How long do you hold court and hold it well? Holding court as a world champion, five gold buckles, the money that you've won, that saddle in the background I'm looking at. I've won way more awards and been inducted into many, many more halls of fame than I deserve to. It's not the awards because they, the buckles will tarnish, the saddles will dissipate, and the money you'll spend right or wrong, invest or reinvest, it's what you leave in a legacy of how that's going to work. And so if you can leave the right attitude to go with it, you've done something. Well, that's that's 100% right. And I, so now I'm going to transition way off that. But going back to Winnemucca and the... So I, another place I went into because it was rodeo cowboy friendly was Penny's. Yep. And, you know, everybody can remember Penny's as being a brothel for ladies of the night. But Penny's was a place where you can go in there if you needed a hot meal, a shower, a place to lay down. She welcomed everybody in there. Oh, yeah. Whether And you didn't even have to bring cash. You didn't have to bring money. She just loved cowboys. And you got to, you know, obviously growing up there. I love to tell the stories about me going in there and I have an autographed picture. I just, I wanted to go in there to visit the site that I've heard about and it was absolutely amazing. I was uh, 11 years old, moved to town from Orvada, out towards going towards the Oregon Idaho yep. border. And my dad bought a lumber yard that bordered all seven of those institutions. <laughs> institutions. Was, yeah, institutions. When I was a kid in 4 H, I had a bicycle. And my dad used to do the books for him in the First National Bank in Winnemucca, First National Bank in Nevada. He would take a big yellow manila envelope and I would go gather up all that money. He'd fill out the deposit slips and I'd take them to the bank. <laughs> okay. I was not allowed to do a lot of things in those places because of my dad and my family being in business. Uh, the story could go on more, but I'm getting ready to write a book. And uh, we now have the title secured to call This Ain't My First Rodeo. Those stories are going to get published and people are going to learn about my childhood. And I worked for another lady. Uh, by the way, Penny's name was Dorothy Malcolm. And uh, the other lady, the combination bar across the kind of a walk street, drive street, um, her name was Irene Roy. And as a boy, as an older boy in St. Paul's Catholic Church, where I was born, baptized, confirmed, and married to Kristen 54 years ago, I can remember seeing those ladies and the ladies of the evening sitting in the front row. When that church needed a new roof, the cash was there. Right. When it needed new front doors, it was there. Winnemucca, Nevada is an amazing place. And the history that it built from 1903, when my family started there, that's what those pictures are up on up on that uh, cupboard up there. And still today, my sister still lives there. And to think about those history-making moments, where did we learn them? Other cowboys that had been through there. The great Pete Logan, rodeo announcer um, uh, extraordinaire, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, came from Winnemucca, Nevada. 
when you think about all those places that we've driven through, stayed at, gone through in a hurry, maybe broke down, wouldn't trade any of it. How blessed are you and I? Oh, yeah, unbelievably blessed, you know, and, and growing up, you always heard of Winnemucca, and, but getting to have a, my college roommate, Jesse Segura, when I got to, yeah, yeah, I knew that smile was coming, you know, getting great to meet rodeo coach, great rodeo oh. coach puts on a hell of a bronc riding in yep. Allen during the Reno rodeo right now. Yeah, but just getting to kind of hear stories about that and, you know, the, the history that 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 place has is is unbelievable but um man bob i appreciate you coming on i know we just scratched the surface of you know the conversation we could have and uh i'm really interested for the book to come out when is it when's the book supposed to launch we're supposed to the end of september we're starting what we call a scratch copy which will do the short lines and the liners to get the chapters set up uh, i don't think we can do it in less than about 30 chapters right now and I have a lady, Julie Bryant, who is amazing writer. She's written articles um, about me, with me, for me, and in the jerky business that she and I were in for a long time. And I would say probably 2025 is uh, maybe January 2026. Uh, it should be ready. I never had a clue about writing a book, but you have got to be accurate. Okay. Because people can fact check you today. I mean, on their phone that quick. And I want to be accurate. I want it to be good for the Western lifestyle. Uh, it'll be dedicated to my family and friends and my best friend in life, who's about to turn 93 years old, Ralph Miller at Gale, Texas. Well, we are all excited. I know 2026 people go, well, that seems like a ways away, but you as well as everybody else, it'll be here before we know it. Hell, I got a freshman in high school that is probably going to be moved out here before, you know, I blink my eyes, uh, uh, which again, not telling you anything you don't already know, but Bob, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I am serious. I want to have you back on because I think there's so much more that we can get into. Anytime you give Lindsay and those kids a big hug for me, Jennifer, Isaiah, everybody on your staff and what y'all are doing, thank you so very, very much. You bet. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Have a good day. Love to you all. I want to thank Resist All for not only sponsoring the Luke Branquino Show, but keeping the sun out of my eyes for so many years.